Amen. Hey, welcome to week number two of our Holy Spirit sermon series. Before we get into that, I just want to um, make you aware of a prayer request, a prayer need that came to us, and that is for KK Haglin. Um, she is the daughter of Deb and, and um, Joe Haglin, and we just want to pray for her. Jordan Smith um, texted the, the elders this last week and just said, hey, could you pray for KK? She's in the hospital right now. She had a procedure, and um, there's some things happening with that where she is losing weight and just doesn't have a desire to eat. And so um, she was in good spirits yesterday, so let's pray that that will continue and that she'll, con she'll begin to eat again and regain some of her strength and weight. So can we just pray for the Haglin family? It's, it's tough right now for Deb and Joel, too, because they only allow one person to be at the hospital at a time. So, Father, we just lift up KK to you. We, pr we pray for the Haglin family, Lord, Seth, Alyssa, too, Lord, and, and Jordan. Um, Lord, KK is special, Lord. She's your daughter, and she has a need right now. And, and Lord, you, you said that we can call upon you, that you are our great physician. So, Father, I just pray that you would give her the care that, you need, that she needs, Lord. You are the creator of her body. You know what's wrong, and you can fix it in just a moment. You can also use medical staff and medication and different procedures, Father. But we, you know, however you choose to work, we just pray um, for healing for her in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, week number two, the Holy Spirit sermon series. Before I begin this morning, I want to ask, how many of you have or come from a Baptist background? Raise your hand if you come from a Baptist. Okay, we've got some, some hands. How about this? How about a Methodist background? Jim, all right. How about a Presbyterian background? Any Presbyterians? Just one? All right. How about a Lutheran or Catholic background? A lot of hands. Wisconsin. If you have a Pentecostal or Charismatic background, I want you to raise both hands. <laughs> How many of you would just say, I'm just a good old sinner saved by grace? Raise your hand. There you go. That's the best one. So as you can see, we have so many people from different church backgrounds, denominational backgrounds that attend and make up Metro Believers Church. And that's a challenge when preaching a message series like this one on the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, as we talked about last week, and as the English translators... Um, would translate his name, the Holy Ghost. While the majority of Christian denominations affirm that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, we preached about that, right, this morning, the triune God, many have doctrinal variations in their beliefs regarding the Holy Spirit's role and function. Because of this, and along with all the hype and hysteria that we so often see in churches who are hyper-focused on the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, it's confusing, isn't it? It causes division, and there's a lot of pastors today who shy away from the subject, and they don't preach on the Holy Spirit. And last week I said, in many ways, the Holy Spirit has become the forgotten God, the forgotten person of the Trinity. But it's been my prayer in preparation for this message series that those of you who attend this church would get a biblical understanding, a balanced biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in your life today. How many know that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish all that God has for us as the church? So I invite you to take out a piece of paper um, if you were lucky, Lisa was walking around with some journals. Dave has some more if you want to raise your hand. If you don't have a piece of paper, he will give you a journal that you can write down and take some notes. There you go. Just throw them at him. So as I was sharing last Sunday, the Holy Spirit is the third divine person of the triune God. He's co-equal and co-eternal, along with both the Father and the Son. These are some big words. He's omnipotent. 
meaning he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at once. As God, he has always existed and always will. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. His purpose is to glorify the Son and apply the work of the Son to the lives of believers. And I'm sorry if I'm getting a little bit too deep and technical, but the bottom line is this. The Holy Spirit cannot be pumped. The Holy Spirit cannot be scooped. He cannot be sprinkled around like some fairy dust. The Holy Spirit cannot be um, dispensed like a candy bar from a vending machine. He doesn't show up just because we say certain words and we repeat a certain declaration. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but he is the very real presence of the living God. He is the breath of fresh air for us today. And the Holy Spirit is not someone to run away from, but the Holy Spirit is someone to run to. And speaking of running, I want to tackle a term that has had many running from time to time, and that's the word Pentecost or Pentecostal. Most people, as I mentioned, associate religious hype and hysteria with the word Pentecost or Pentecostal. And it's neither of those things. Pentecost is not a hype and hysteria. So what is it? It's actually a day. It's an event that happened. And I'll show you in the book of Acts in just a moment that it was on that day, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit was poured out from heaven upon the church as an accelerant to empower the disciples to start the church. And he's still very real and moving today. Let me give you some history. I love that we sang about all this this morning. Because God cared so much about his creation, he became one of us in Jesus, his son. Jesus lived for 33 years. He died on the cross. He was placed in the tomb. Three days later, we just celebrated on Easter Sunday, he raised from the dead. He comes back and he appears to his followers and he spends 40 days hanging out with them, kind of just like popping through walls, showing up, talking to his, his um, followers, sharing with them his final directions. And then 10 days later, for a total of 50 days, he ascends back to heaven, and the day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And there's a lot of fanfare there in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 4, and and continuing on. There's a lot of power, a lot of wonderful things. I encourage you to read it later. So Pentecost is a day. It's an event. In fact, it's not only a day or an event. It's a holiday. It's a major holiday on the Jewish calendar. Pentecost is one of three major Jewish holidays that the Torah or the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, and kind of the, the whole Old Testament, required to be celebrated annually. The other two were Passover and Tabernacles. So three major feasts, three major holidays on the Jewish calendar. I want you to, to capture these. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Jesus not only celebrated these holidays himself, but every major redemptive event in his life also happened on one of these three days. He used these holidays to give the Jewish people a picture of what he wanted to accomplish and why he came to earth. However, here's the problem. The Jewish people understood this, but we don't because these are not holidays that we celebrate necessarily. They're not a part of our tradition. So my goal this morning is to help you understand the prophetic significance of each of these holidays so that you can understand how the Bible was written. And then prayerfully, by the end of my message this morning, you'll see and respond to the beauty of what God has 
for each of you. Write this scripture down, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus did not come to do away with the Old Testament law. He didn't come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. So although we are not bound today by those ceremonial laws, we still embrace the principles behind them. In fact, Jesus came to give a fulfillment of the picture of the Old Testament. Therefore, what you and I see within these three major holidays is Jesus, and better yet, we see his plan for our lives. The first of these three major holidays on the Jewish calendar that the Jewish people celebrated every year was Passover. And this message is going to be a little bit different than other messages that I preach in that giving you a lot, but it's all going to make sense. So hang with me this morning. I want you to capture all of this. Passover is a celebration of when the Israelite people came out of Egypt. How many know that story, the story of the Exodus? For those of you who don't, there was a shortage of food, a famine that caused the Israelite people to leave and to go to Egypt and search for food. So they left Canaan to go to Egypt. And they get stuck there for over 400 years. In fact, the Pharaoh, the religious and political leader of the Egyptians, enslaved the Israelites. And Pharaoh caused them to erect monuments, build roads, and do all kinds of miscellaneous things, forced labor. Obviously, God did not want his people to be enslaved, so he sent a deliverer. This deliverer's name was Moses, and Moses comes to lead the people out of Egypt. But there was one issue, though. Pharaoh did not want them to go. Because Pharaoh refused to let them go, God decided to punish him by sending ten plagues on Egypt. And now the tenth plague was that every house who did not have the blood of the lamb sprinkled, uh, the blood of a slaughtered lamb sprinkled over the doorpost of their home, every house that didn't, that house, within that house, the firstborn male would be struck dead. Obviously, God didn't want the Hebrew male children to die, so he said to the Hebrew people, here's what I want you to do. Go and slaughter a lamb and take its blood and place it on the doorpost of your homes, and when I see that blood, I will pass over your house. I'm going to go buy your house. And so that's where the word Passover comes from. Well, they finally get out of Egypt, and then God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to institute an annual holiday to celebrate this event. And the purpose of this holiday, known as Passover, is to celebrate and to preserve the memory of how God passed over their houses and spared their homes and struck down the Egyptians. And here's how they celebrated it. The Passover sacrifice, also known as the Passover lamb, is the sacrifice that the law mandated that the Israelites slaughter, and it was this Passover lamb that was to be the centerpiece of the feast. But this couldn't just be any ordinary lamb. It had to meet certain qualifications as stated in the law, and I want you to capture these qualifications in order to see the prophetic significance of each of them. First, the law mandated that the lamb had to be a one-year-old male. Had to be a one-year-old male. It had to be without defect. It had to, had to pass the no-defect qualification. It couldn't be like the misfit fruits, you know, you know, that are part of the misfits market. It couldn't be one of those. Second, the lamb had to be sacrificed. 
According to the law, the priests of the temple prepared the lambs for sacrifice at 9 a.m. in the morning. Then they killed their lambs and sacrificed them at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And according to the instructions that we have in Scripture, the entire lamb was to be roasted, and upon roasting, not one bone in its body should be broken. Here's another interesting one. They were to place, place the lamb upon the roasting stick that was shaped like a crossbar. It was all supposed to be consumed, and nothing could be left over for the next day. And lastly, listen to this. The lamb was to be shared. During the Passover feast, the, the Israelite Jewish families shared their Passover lamb with their Jewish neighbors, the other circumcised members of the community, and the only, it was not to be shared with any foreigner, no one else, unless they converted to Judaism and were circumcised. Can you begin to, to see the prophetic significance of this whole feast? And the whole purpose of the Passover meal was to serve a picture to remind them of the sacrifice of that lamb covering their sins. So they're still sinners. It's just that their sins are covered over. Fast forward and we read in the New Testament that Jesus came as a fulfillment of this holiday. And here's what's interesting. The day Jesus gave up his life on the cross, that Good Friday was on Passover. Jesus was sacrificed on Passover, and guess what time Jesus was placed upon the cross? 9 a.m. That was the time that the nails went into his hands and he was placed upon the cross. Guess what time Jesus gave up his life and said it is finished? 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The same time that the Passover lamb was to be placed on the roasting stick shaped like a crossbar. That was when Jesus gave up his life and was prepared to be placed into a tomb. But Jesus' sacrifice doesn't just cover over our sins. His sacrifice removes our sins. They're gone forever. And this is only for those who have placed their trust in him. Amen? So can you see a picture of this, the prophetic significance of the, the original Jewish holiday called Passover and to Jesus being that Passover lamb and, and, and in all the qualifications and how we celebrate and remember through the ordinance of communion today? What I'm trying to show you is the pattern. You might say, well, Lance, you're making all this up. No, I'm not. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And the Jewish people are like, I totally get that, because I remember that's what Passover is all about. However, it's kind of strange for us, again, because we don't necessarily observe that holiday. But Passover represents something, and that is your salvation. It's my salvation. The holiday represents in the New Testament the fact that you can be saved. Now listen to me. This holiday stands on its own. This holiday, this beautiful thing that God has given us, stands on its own. So let me say it this way. God has more for the church than just to be saved. God has more for you and I to experience. So let's move on to the second major Jewish holiday that was celebrated, that was Pentecost. And what's interesting about the word Pentecost is it comes from the two words pente and coste. Pente means five, like a pentagram. Pente means five. Coste means to the tenth power. So when you combine these two words together, you get 50. And to think that a lot of people get weirded out when they hear the word Pentecost when it just means 50. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's scary. Run. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that whenever we're afraid of something, it's usually because we don't know 
everything there is to know about it. If we understood enough, we wouldn't be afraid. Plus, fear is Satan's primary weapon. He uses your fear and lack of understanding to keep you away from the blessings of God. And as I was thinking about it, I wrote down, really, when you think about it, the only power the devil has over you is in areas of your ignorance. Because if you really knew what God had for you, you wouldn't be afraid of it. You would run toward it. You would embrace it. You would want it. So Pentecost is the second of these three major Jewish holidays celebrated at Jerusalem yearly on the seventh week or 50 days after Passover. In fact, on our calendar today, we will celebrate Pentecost, the day of Pentecost on May 23rd, Sunday, May 23rd, 50 days from Easter Sunday, from Passover Sunday. So that's all the word means is 50. Some of you might be wondering, what were they celebrating at the original Pentecost? They were celebrating the fact that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses to be given to the people on Mount Sinai. So Pentecost celebrates, the original Pentecost celebrates the fact that the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. So now we see the Israelites, they're out of Egypt, they travel for 47 days and they come to this mountain, to the, to the base of Mount Sinai, and they're standing at this base and the presence of God descends upon it. We read in Exodus chapter 19 that three days later, after some preparations that, that Moses talks the people through, consecrating themselves in such that this mountain was enveloped in smoke because God had descended upon it in fire. I want you to catch the characteristics of this moment, the imagery. There was smoke all around. God's presence appeared to the Israelite people in a tangible way. It says that there was fire, there was smoke, there was earthquakes, there was loud sounds of thunder, there were bursts of lightning, and the people trembled with great fear and awe as they stood in the presence of God. Some of you may remember or have seen Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments. How many of you have seen that, you know? It comes around, even though it's from like the 1950s, you see it repeated over and over every year on TV. You can even stream it on Netflix and Hulu. In that movie, you see a condensed retelling of the events that surrounded this event. So there's a lot of visual imagery um, that surrounds it. And the Israelite people are trembling with fear and awe, and it's just that God is there. And then God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He, he takes his finger, the finger of God, and he inscribes them upon two separate stone tablets. He tells Moses, go tell the people, this is the covenant that I want to make with them, and that, that if they would follow this covenant, they would experience my blessings. And the people are like so scared and, and afraid that they're like, whatever he says, we'll do it. And then they beg him, can we just go away and can you just stay there and spend time with God? And, and, and Moses dismisses them. And how many remember the rest of the story? The people get bored. They forget the agreement that they just made with their deliverer, their leader. And they beg Aaron, the priest, to fashion a golden calf. And they begin to dance and worship this false idol. And Moses comes down after being on the mount for several days. And he sees the people dancing and worshiping this, this golden calf. And he becomes enraged, the Bible says, and he takes the stone, the two stone tablets, and he throws them to the ground, shattering them, breaking them into pieces, symbolizing the broken covenant. And because Moses is still so enraged, he orders that 3,000 males be put to death. I want you to see the prophetic significance in this event as well and its correlation to Acts chapter 2. Remember some 14, 1500 years later in Acts chapter 2 when on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit descended and rested as what? Tongues of fire. Remember God descended upon the mountain in fire? Now he comes and rests. 
he sends his spirit to rest upon these individual believers in the forms of tongues of fire. This happened on the same day as Pentecost. The day that the Jews celebrated God giving of his law on tablets of stone. But however, this time, God is sending his spirit to write his law on the tablets of our heart. So they receive God on the inside of them now. And guess how many people didn't die that day but got saved that day? 3,000 people. And I look at this and I'm like, wow, this shows again a beautiful mirror, a, a, a beautiful picture again of God's redemptive plan. Again, let me give you some context. After Jesus' suffering, that's the cross. He appeared to many different people over a period of 40 days and gave them convincing proofs. And Thomas is like, I still don't believe it. And he said, look, Thomas, see, see the hole in my side? That's where the spear went in. See the holes in my hands? That's where the nails pierced. And again, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought you said 50. And I'll show you where the other 10 days come from. Remember Jesus appearing to his disciples and telling them before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, that do not depart but stay here in Jerusalem and wait because my, my Father is sending a promise to you, the Holy Spirit. Remember that? They waited in the upper room for 10 days, so 40 plus 10 equals 50. And then he says, for John baptized with water. That was, your, that was your salvation. That was Passover. But in a few days, it hasn't happened yet, but in a few days, 10 days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why, Jesus? Why? Because I need for you to have power. So this experience doesn't save them. This is power that they're going to need to be successful on this earth. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do what? To be my witnesses. First to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the other ends of the earth. For us this morning, it's power to touch Madison. It's power to touch our state, the state of Wisconsin. For us today, it's power to touch America and the rest of the world. Friends, God has given us assignment, and we need to be first, accept him as our Lord and Savior, and place our trust in him, and then receive his power to be his witnesses. Can someone say amen? So what does Pentecost really mean? It's not about wild church services. It's not about hype and hysteria. And I'm telling you, the enemy has wrapped Pentecost in this package to scare people away from experiencing it. It's not even about speaking in tongues. I'm going to do something a little crazy that an elderly woman in our church that I grew up back home, when I was having a hard time understanding what Holy Spirit was about, she kicked off her shoe. And she said, Lance, you see the shoe? That's what God wants to give you. He wants to give you power, and that's symbolic of that shoe. And then she, she pulled up and she said, the tongues just happened to come with it. So as Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues, there might be a chance that you will as an evidence that you've received it. Or you could experience another evidence as well. But how do you know something unless there's an evidence, right? And we'll talk more about that later. But what I want you to see today is that you need this power to do what Jesus has called you to do. Pentecost is not about rolling in, in the aisles You'll never see me rolling in the aisles. It's not about swinging from the chandeliers. Plus, we don't have any chandeliers in this place this morning. And if there were, I wouldn't be up there because I'm afraid of heights. So it's not about those things. Pentecost is all about this. And I want you to write this in your notes. It's power so that you can make a difference. 
Because there's a job for us to do. There's people who will spend their eternity in hell unless you share the gospel with them. It's all about what Matt shared this morning, being bold enough because of that enabling power. You might say, but Lance, I'm an introvert. It would kill me to share my faith with someone else. <laughs> the Spirit of God doesn't care if you're an introvert or extrovert. He will give you the ability to share the gospel with someone else. And it won't be strange. It won't be hard. It might just be, like Matt described, the woman looking up and saying, you're right. You're right. It's kind of like me at Postal Connections yesterday sending off a package. And the guy, similar to Matt, was just going off about all the things happening in our country, in our city today. And um, he said, you know, I guess we're just going to have to wait and pray. Wait and pray. He knew that I was a believer. And so he just had to, like, throw that in there. But it opens the door to share the gospel, to share the gospel. Let's talk about the third holiday, tabernacles. Lance, what is tabernacles all about? Well, the first two holidays, Passover and Pentecost, are close together in the spring of the year, and this one happens in the fall. It's harvest time. And tabernacles has a whole nother set of unique circumstances. In fact, tabernacles was to, to remember the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. So it celebrated their wilderness wanderings. How many days did they or years did they wander in the wilderness? How many know? Forty. Many people believe today that that area in which they um, wandered is modern-day Saudi Arabia. Not sure. Could be. They wandered there for 40 days going in circles before they found their permanent home in the promised land. So the word tabernacles means a dwelling, a portable house. For the Jewish people, it was like a what we would call a tent for us. It's like a temporary home, a place to stay that's not your permanent home. So are you putting all this together? They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God's taking care of them, manna, you know, sending manna and different things to take care of them. And they are staying in these portable houses or tents. So tabernacles, they celebrate their wilderness wanderings and living in, living in these temporary homes until they're brought to their final home, the promised land. So what is the prophetic significance of the tabernacles and how is it being fulfilled? How many know that you and I are living on this temporary earth? This is not our home. The Apostle Paul and Peter said we're aliens and strangers. Meaning we're not camped here. We're just passing through. Until we're brought home to our final resting place in heaven to spend eternity with our Savior. And one day that's going to happen. And friends, I believe this, and the Bible seems to, to say the same thing, that there will be a great final harvest of people getting saved before that time comes. Do you believe that this morning? And you say, but how, how are you sure about that with all the things that we've seen, even in, in the last year? And Matt said, you know, we live in a city where Christians are the minority. But did you know this? Doing some re research statistics show us that more people have gotten saved in the last 20-plus years than the previous 2,000 years from Christ to the year 2000. What I'm telling you is that we are living in a harvest generation. You might say, but our world is so dark right now. And yes, friends, that's true. And, and the word says that it will get darker. It's not going to get any better than what we have right now. It will get darker. But the Bible also says that we are to be lights. And how many know that lights shine brighter in the darkness? Lance, do you think Jesus is coming back soon? It could be. Matter of fact, it could be real soon. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. There's a big difference between trying to scare someone than to prepare them. And whether you believe it or not, the Lord is coming back. And I don't care that a lot of churches don't talk about His second coming. 
I'm going to be a pastor, and we're going to be a team that talks about it. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So these are the people who, who have passed on. They're there. Their bodies are still in the grave. Their bodies are going to be resurrected to meet them in the air. And after they come out of the graves, verse 17 says, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are three major holidays or feasts because there are three major things you need to know about your life as a believer. And it all begins with Passover. It all begins with the cross. That free gift that you cannot earn. That gift that we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that is by grace, through faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's free. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. You don't have to serve, give, or pray. It's a free gift. But it doesn't stop there. There's Pentecost. There's Pentecost. There's the Holy Spirit. There's power. And Acts chapter 2, verse 12 says that the people were amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? It's simple, friends. He just wants you and I to have power to accomplish his mission, to be witnesses. If last Sunday in week one of the series you understood that he wanted you to have the Spirit of God inside of you, this refreshing breath there, make no mistake about it, God needs you to possess this power in your life in a supernatural way. In fact, he wants to empower you in three areas. The number one area that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you in is he wants to empower you to live righteously. To live righteously. Because remember, Pentecost was about the giving of the law. And some of you are following the law, written on something on the outside. Something written on the outside. You've got something on the outside that you're following, so here's how it plays out. You love God, and you're trying to do it, but you really don't want to. It's a struggle. You say, it's just like a, a battling in my flesh. How many know what I'm talking about? You're following a law on the outside. You know why? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, what happens is he begins to write, write the law of his word upon our hearts. So that you don't have to obey it, you become it, and you want to obey it. See the difference? It becomes not a, I have to, it's a, I want to. I, every day I want to please my Savior. I want to live righteously for my Savior. Because it's God in you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Some of you are saying, oh, yes, I am. Well, you're not if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And when he's inside of you, he will guide you into all truth. John chapter 16, verse 13, he'll, he'll talk to you. When you're tempted to do something wrong, you'll hear his voice. You'll hear the voice of God from inside that it, it's not going to be an audible voice, but it's going to be a prompting, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't walk that way. I see this um, beautiful thing prophesied in, in Isaiah. In Isaiah, he says that um, you, will, you will see a way that seems right to you, but I will say don't go the opposite way, and in that way walk in it. How many have ever had that happen to you before where you were going a direction that seemed right to you, but you had that prompting, that, that red light, that stoplight, or that yellow light, caution light, and it says that's not the way you're supposed to go. Go that way. Walk in it. And it just didn't make sense at the time. But looking back now, you can see that that was the hand of God, the Spirit of God inside of you. I don't know how many times that has saved me from making some wrong, stupid decisions. There are times that I ignored that voice and I had to pay the consequences. The second thing, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live supernatural. 
And this comes from what I shared with you last week that Shallon had passed on from the women's conference. God is super. He's superior. We're natural, but together we're supernatural. We can do supernatural things. And the Bible tells us that greater works than these will you do. Jesus did some pretty awesome things, don't you think? But he said, greater works than these will you do because there's one coming after me that will be with you and not only with you and around you, but will be in you. And I want to make a bold statement here. It does not have to be goofy. It doesn't have to be spooky or weird, manufactured, and all the crazy things that comes with what I call charismania sometimes to still believe that the great physician has not closed up shop. He still heals people. Friends, if your marriages are struggling today, he can still heal your marriage. If you are battling affliction inside of you, he can still heal your body. He is a God that is still doing miracles in us and through us. And somebody, give God some praise this morning. Because he has not closed up shop. He is still moving through his people. Greater things, greater things than these will you do. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and with power. Because there were so many sick and hurting and demon-possessed people all around, he needed power to help them. And I feel that way sometimes. I don't want NBC to just be good at what we do. I don't want NBC to be a church where people merely attend and are participants but are not engaged. I don't want the preaching you hear from up front to come just as what the Apostle Paul said with wise and persuasive words. But I want whoever stands up here, whoever's in a small group sharing the Word of God, whether that's an elder or pastor or, or one of you, I want it to come with a demonstration of power because the Spirit of God is living and operational inside of you. I don't want you pulling from from dried up wells. I want you pouring out from deep wells of the Spirit because you're feeding yourself with the things of God. And you can experience that power. And here's the last one, and it's not weird, it's not spooky. It's about power. That's what Pentecost is all about. And finally, he wants to empower you to do the mission he's called you to do. And I want to say this. And it's not to offend anyone. But if you're looking for a church just for you and your issues, this church isn't that one. If you're looking for a church that says, I just want a refuge, a place of escape, just to come and and to be away from the world, us four and no more, this church is not that one. We are called, we have a mandate by God to reach our lost neighbors. We are called, friends, by God to make a difference in this city. We are called. We heard this from, you heard us talk about Uncle Jimmy Rollins at at a conference, at a network conference that we were part of in Minneapolis. He said, God has not called you just to pastor your church. He's called you to pastor your city. God has called us, friends, to pastor this city, to reach this city. Some say that this city is a graveyard for pastors and churches. Pastors have come and labored here and left defeated. Some have dropped out of the ministry. You heard it before from Pastor Glenn, our founding pastor, of how many church plants have failed in this city. But I tell you what, God is bringing together a remnant of churches. He's doing a new thing right now. And we need to be a part of it. And I see this happening, not just in our city, but I see this happening throughout the cities that make up our nation. There are people that are calling out in prayer. There are pastors who are preaching messages like this to equip the body for the work of ministry. There are people that are responding, being filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit to go out with this power, not for weird and crazy, but to go out with this power to see that harvest, that final harvest. I love it. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit 
and with full conviction. I want this so desperately for all of us. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Why don't you stand with me as the worship team comes? How many of you get it this morning? You've seen the prophetic significance in each of those three major holidays. You see the fulfillment of them in the New Testament. You understand that the first step is Passover. It's your salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. That's square one. I also believe that there are people here this morning that would say, I said the prayer, but I'm not actively engaged in the mission right now. I need a refreshing and a reviving. And that's okay. You just have to admit it. We're all there at different times in our life. Look at the Israelites. We'll serve you, God, whatever you say. And then they're worshiping a golden calf. And we do that. Get pumped up, and then we wane down. Like a bonfire. Let's throw some logs on that fire and get that fire roaring again, NBC. Let's get that fire roaring again. Let's stoke and have the breath of the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit, blow upon that fire so that it's roaring in us again. Spirit, the Ruach of God, the breath of God. When you boil it down, it's just a breath of fresh air. How many would say this morning, I need a breath of fresh air? Oh God, I feel your presence here this morning. I feel your presence here this morning, Lord. Lord, you're doing a work in this church. You're doing a work in me. I thank you for the freedom that you've given me. Lord, I thank you for the boldness has been rising in me, the boldness that I see rising in your people. I pray, Father, right now for light bulb moments. This all makes sense. He loves me. He wants me. He calls me his own. He left the comforts of heaven to come be one of me in the form of a baby manger a stall meant for animals to feed in didn't come as a king but as a humble baby infant he gave his life for me he said father forgive them for they know not what they do he said it is finished But he's not still in the grave this morning. He rose again. He's alive today and he says, I've sent my spirit, the spirit of God to live inside of you, to empower you to live a righteous life, to have power, to be my witnesses. And he's coming again soon, friends. He's coming again soon. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, closed, respecting the privacy of those around you. If you were at square one this morning, and you've been fighting it, but it just makes sense today that this is the way that you should walk in. You feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you're ready to commit your life and to put your trust in Jesus. Your life's been a mess. You've tried to control it. What has it gotten you but a bunch of anxiety, worry, and fear? You said, I can't do it anymore. I throw in the towel. And Jesus says to you this morning, you were never meant to, my child. 
you were never meant to. Let me take the wheel. Let me take control. And I'll show you how beautiful your life can be when I'm in control of your life. If that's you this morning, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you say, Lance, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead. I believe that he's alive today and he wants to give me power to be victorious in my Christian walk. I want you to raise your hand right now. No embarrassment, no fear. Just raise your hand right now and say, count me in. Count me in. I believe there are more people here right now. I'm going to give you a moment. Say, count me in, Lance. I want to be a part of the prayer that we're going to pray together. I'm not going to make you come up front. I'm not going to embarrass you. There's a time for public confession and baptism. But right now, I'm just asking you to take that first step to raise your hand and say, count me in. Count me in. Church, can we do this together? Can we pray for those who have raised their hand this morning? Who are saying, I want to be a part of the family of God. Let's pray this together, dear Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Lord, for rising again. Thank you for choosing me to be your son, to be your daughter. I receive you into my life. Take control. Put my trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads still bowed and your eyes still closed, I want to speak to the rest of us who are feeling dry in our spiritual walk. For some of you, this pandemic has, has made you draw closer to Jesus. Some of you, it's made you to withdraw. And maybe there's some of you that are not even here right now because your life, your spiritual life has gotten so dry that it's easy now just to, to kick back and not be engaged. Maybe there are those who are here right now it's like, well, that's a good word. But I'm okay. Friends, you're not okay. You're not fulfilling God's plan for your life. And if you're not fulfilling God's plan for your life, you're not okay. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us power to be your witnesses. Thank you, Jesus, that you have a plan and purpose for each of us. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that everyone has a part to play. Everyone has been given a gift. Lord, we open up those gifts afresh. And we say, we don't want our preaching. We don't want our ministry. We don't want our, our, our witness, Lord, to be just wise and persuasive or just something that we can pull out of our back pocket of past tradition, Sunday school, past moves of God. Lord, we want something fresh, a fresh work new wine to be poured into these wineskins. Something that can, can hold your presence. That can hold your presence. I want, I want you to, God just dropped something in my heart. I want you to look up here. There was a man who had this disease and he was severely overweight. He wouldn't go to his friends' homes because he didn't want to break their furniture. I mean, you want to laugh right now. And then there was a group of friends that would invite him over and say, come over, come over. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no. And he would walk by his neighbor's home and he would peek inside and he would see that although they wanted him to come over, they had the same furniture that wouldn't hold his weight. And that just speaks to me of God in this way, and I want you to stick with me. 
just wonder sometimes if the Spirit of God just comes. We say, Holy Spirit, come. You're welcome here. And He just looks in at His people and He says, I just don't see furniture that can hold the weight of my glory. I don't see furniture that can hold the weight of my glory. Tabernacle, another word for tabernacle. It's like God is to come and tabernacle amongst us, right? Just to dwell in our midst. The word glory is the Hebrew word kabod. It means heaviness. There's a heaviness. Maybe you sense that right now, the glory of God's presence. Church, I ask you, Ken, are we ready to hold God's glory so that he can come and tabernacle amongst us? How many are getting it? Father, we want your presence so bad. We want to be a church that can hold the presence of God, desire the presence of God, the glory of your presence. To walk under that, Lord, that, man, when I think of the book of Acts and what I read throughout the New Testament, Lord, your presence changed the environment wherever your people went. Lord, I believe that we can do that today. We can change the environment. We can bring joy into a dark situation, a sad situation. But we have to desire it. We have to press in after it. We have to want it. We have to soak in it. If that's your desire this morning, you say, Lance, I want to be refreshed, revived, renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My hands are with you this morning. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something that we normally don't do. Keep your hands up. I want you to turn and look around. And I want you to grab a person, a couple people, a group of people. Can we spur each other on towards this this morning? Let's do that. I just want you to grab someone around you. If you're not comfortable, you can just stay where you're at. The rest of you just grab somebody and let's press in. Let's press in. Begin to pray. Say, God, hey, I'm up here with Jessica and Brad. The Turners and the, and the Schwartzes can gather together. Oh, Lord, do something right now. I pray, as, Lord, as the people press in, I pray that you would just send down your spirit on these little, these little clusters this morning. Lord, I pray for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do right now in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. When I stood on the rooftop after the vote to be your pastor, I said it wouldn't be just my ability to make happen what God wants to make happen. It would take the whole body. And that's why we kicked off that season of our ministry in the book of Ephesians. There's nothing holding you back from doing what God wants you to do. If God has given you a gift, share it with us. We want to come alongside of you. The Holy Spirit's already alongside of you. He's your paraclete. He comes alongside. He's your helper. But we want to come alongside of you, resource that, and see that you be successful in it. It may not be a gift that another person has. It might be totally different. But we can walk together in unity, right, in our gifts. So Holy Spirit, do it again. Move mountains. Use your church. The ecclesia, the called out ones. And Lord, we pray for that harvest. Change the atmosphere over Madison. May people read and see that there's something different happening in Madison. 
So the greatest way to bring a crowd, to draw a crowd, is to start a fire and people will come and watch that fire burn. Send your fire upon Madison, Lord. In Jesus' name. And Lord, use us. Help us to get up and to go out to be your witnesses with your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. We want to celebrate all the women who have invested in children, whether they're your biological children or not. It's going to be a great day. We invite you back. Plug in to some small groups. Men, be a part of that breakfast coming up. It's going to be a good day. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy this weather.